Numbers chapter 11, we see a group of people who did not understand that God was there with them. They had not appreciated fully what the Lord had done for them, and even in spite of them. One of the obstacles that I think that we have to overcome in our Christian lives if we're going to live the life to the fullest is the obstacle of complaining. Mostly complaining about what's going on in our life and complaining about what God's allowed to happen in us. I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 11. As I was thinking through this message over the last several weeks, I began to uh, realize that I have discovered a disease and a problem that if we could ever fix it in the church, it would make a world of difference in how we live and what our churches do in this world. We have a problem. See, nobody else has figured this out, I don't think. We have the problem of ingrown eyeballs. Nothing's showing but the white. Everything's looking in. Looking at ourselves, focused on ourselves, what's in it for me, what's going to happen for me, how is this going to affect me, and we get ingrown eyeballs always wondering about number one. And it leads us to complain. We are a complaining nation. The talk shows are people complaining about their mama or their brother or their third cousin or their husband or their wife, and they get up and just gripe for an hour. When you watch that stuff, all you're watching is people griping. And you say, well, it's kind of entertaining, but it also tells you it's okay for you to gripe. Call in talk shows. Everybody's griping. You listen to the Atlanta Braves baseball game. They got to call in afterwards. I don't think he should have done that. He should have hit that pitch, and everybody's griping. Of course, they could never even athletically qualify to walk out of the dugout, but they know how to tell Chipper Jones how to be a great athlete. It's amazing how much our society is consumed with rancor and with whining and with complaining as if it's in the constitutional rights of the American people, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the ability to gripe about whatever we want to gripe about. It seems that we think that we have a right to do that. I remember one of my, one of my favorite skits from the early 70s on Saturday Night Live was the whiners. Anybody remember the whiners? And always walk around and talk like this. Life's so hard and life's so bad. And oh, you don't know what's going on with me. And you just kind of wanted to go, hush. <laughs> what they were making fun of is the reality of what many of us listen to all the time. Sometimes in your family. Sometimes at your job. Some of you work with people that they wouldn't be happy if they made $12 million a year and they didn't have to pay taxes on it. They just wouldn't be happy. Some of you in your Sunday school class. You just hear people whining and complaining, whining and complaining, and you think, you know, I don't want to get up and hear this. I, I don't want to give up and give my only day off to hear somebody whine and complain. But boy, we do it. 
and we're good at it. All of us have a tendency to whine and to have pity parties and second-guessing seminars. Everybody's a Monday morning quarterback and everybody's a, a, an expert in areas that they know nothing about. And they begin to complain about it. And this has its family roots all the way back in the book of Numbers. Now, Numbers, the people have been at Mount Sinai for 11 months. Now they're prepared to move out. The tribes are in line. They're in order. The tabernacle has been dismantled and the crowd is beginning to move and the Levites are carrying the ark out and the tribe of Judah is the first tribe and they're leading the way out and they're on their way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They haven't been out for three days and they start complaining. Any of you ever taken one of those vacations that it was like one day too long? You know, you've been out, oh, we're going to have a great family vacation. We're going to have great fun, and we're going to spend time in the car together. And then about halfway through it, we're going, we're going to spend time in the car together. And you just get tired of the backseat going, when are we going to get there? When are we going to stop? I'm hot. I'm cold. She's touching me. <laughs> Tell her to stop. Quit. The music's too loud. I can't hear the music. When are we going to stop? How long is it going to take? How many more miles? And you look at your wife and say, and we ask God for these things. <laughs> I mean, they're three days out, and they're complaining. Dale Carnegie made a great statement. He said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and usually does. Look at the general act of complaining in verse 1 of Numbers 11. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And the people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. Now I want you to notice something about verse 2. They cried out to Moses. Why didn't they talk to God? Because they knew they weren't in a spiritual condition to talk to God. All they'd been is just complaining to God. Now wasn't the time to talk to God. And they knew that Moses was their only hope. So they cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed for them. Now, look at the complaint of the people. The word complain is anon, A-N-A-N in Hebrew, and it means to murmur. Now, let's just do a little practice on what murmuring sounds like, all right? Let's say five times together the word murmur, all right? Let's go. Murmur, 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 murmur. Boy, that's edifying, isn't it? Makes you just want to praise God. Let's do it again. Murmur, 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 murmur. You know what murmuring is. It's when you're walking into your office building and somebody's standing over in a corner and they're going... And you know they're not talking about they've just won the lottery. It's probably about you. And it's just murmuring. It's this little undercurrent. Murmur, 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 murmur. It's this little undercurrent that flows out of people. And notice they were murmuring and complaining about adversity or affliction. Now, here's the key. They were complaining and God heard it. Now, apparently, Moses didn't hear it. You know, Moses probably minding his own business and they're complaining there's no indication in this verse that Moses heard. They're complaining and God sent down fire and Moses probably goes, whoa, what was that? 
somebody messed up. And they ran to Moses and said, you got to pray for us. God's scorching the camp. Now notice what happened. They complained in the hearing of the Lord, and his anger was kindled. You know how we'll stop complaining in our lives? When we realize that what we say doesn't go from our lips to somebody else's ears, it goes from our lips to God's ears. God hears it. God hears the critical things that we say at the supper table. God hears the things that we say in Sunday school classes. God hears the things that we say about our boss or our employees. God hears the things that we say about people. God hears our complaining. And you know, I'm going to tell you something, folks. One minute in heaven and our complaining is going to seem very, very silly. And we're going to be embarrassed by it. The very fact that God had saved us and prepared a home for us and we get to spend eternity with him, we're going to look around and say, how in the world could I have ever complained about anything in light of what I've got now? And see, what will keep you from complaining is realize that you're going to get that one day. And no matter what you're going through now, no matter what raw deal you feel like you've gotten, no matter what adversity you're walking through, you need to remember one day it's all going to be over, so why are you complaining? One day it's all going to be settled. One day all the books are going to be settled right. One day everybody's going to get what they deserve. So why are you worried? Why are you complaining? They complained in the hearing of the Lord, and his anger was kindled. You have to be careful because you've got to realize you can push the Lord too far. Now, we need to understand that a spark can burn down an entire forest fire. And that one state succeeding can start a civil war. And that one argument can lead to a barroom brawl. And one bad meeting can tear up a church or a family. These people had the law of God. They had the ark of God. They had the presence of God to lead them. But they weren't halfway to grandma's house and they were whining and complaining. I mean, they just could not believe what was happening with them. And I think that there are three reasons for it. This is not in your note. Number one, laziness. They just got comfortable. They got comfortable at Mount Sinai. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to be uh, inconvenienced. They didn't want to have to redo anything. They'd kind of learned their ropes and gotten used to the system, and they just complained because they got lazy. Secondly, they complained because they were ungrateful. They had forgotten that for 11 months they never had to hit a lick at a snake and never had to work a bit because God had provided their meal for them. God's provision had been there. God's protection of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They didn't have to fight anybody during that time. They were protected, they were provided for, and they were ungrateful. But mostly because they were carnal. They were just carnal. They had forgotten that God meets every need, that God had delivered them, and they were whining. They had forgotten that God was preparing them for a land flowing with milk and honey. Probably two million Jews and four million complaints. This was, in fact, the first Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> now, I, I sat down this week and used my sanctified imagination a little bit and wondered what they were complaining about, because it doesn't tell us, and you can kind of imagine yourself what they might have been complaining about. I think some of them wanted to go back to Egypt. They, they say that later on. Let's just go back to Egypt where we had all that great food. They forgot that they had had to make bricks without straw. Some of them may have complained that they weren't in charge. You know, if I was in charge instead of Moses, we would have already been there, and we wouldn't be making this trip now. We'd already be in where we need to be. 
they'd put me in charge. Somebody may have complained and said, you know, I think there's a better way to get there, but nobody asked me. Some may have said, what's wrong with Mount Sinai? I think there was at least one who blamed it on El Nino. I mean, somebody said, you know, with all these weather pattern changes, we ought to wait until it's cooler to move out. It's never cool in Israel and in the Middle East. Somebody may have said, you know, there's no, nothing that says we've got to march for three days. Why don't we just take our time with this? The land will be there when we get there. Matthew Henry says, and it's in your notes, when we consider how their camp was guided, guarded, and graced, what good food they had and good company and what care was taken of them in their marches that their feet should not swell nor their clothes wear out, we may ask what could have been done more for a people to make them easy and yet they complained. No reference to running out of food, no reference to an enemy attacking, no reference to their security being threatened, but they were complaining. We're too comfortable and accepting of complaining. Three things. Number one, we never confront it in others. We never confront it in others. Uh, see, that's sloppy agape. Sloppy agape says, oh, I just love them too much to confront them. If you loved them, you would confront them. You know, I mean, sometimes you just got to confront. It may be a member of your family. I mean, I've had to do that with members of my extended family. My wife's had to do it with her. When you just have to confront and say, you know, you need to get over it. And you need to get a life and you need to move on and you need to realize that's where you are and that's the way life is and it's not going to change, so get happy. Learn to live with it. Sometimes you have to confront. We're just scared to confront. Oh, I just love them too much to confront. You do not help somebody who is doing something that is actually making God kindle his anger toward them. You don't love them. You're sending them to judgment. You're actually sending them under the disciplining hand of God because God's put you in their life to tell them, don't do that. Some of you have people in your Sunday school class always complaining, always griping. You need to tell them to be quiet say, well, what do they think? No matter. Well, God's already hearing it, and I know what he thinks about it. Some of you have people in your home, and all they do is complain and gripe all day long. You need to tell them to get over it. Move on. You know, the Lord's listening. The Lord's watching. Some of you have people who work for you. Just ask them if they like not having a job. Then they'd have something to complain about. You see, you and I need to realize that if we're going to be what we're supposed to be, we have to confront it. Second problem is, while we're comfortable with complaining, is because we never see it in ourselves. We never see it in ourselves. Now, my wife said to me this morning, who my wife is always there to kind of help me see through these things, she said to me this morning, she said, Honey, when you preach, don't complain too much about complaining. See, I have the Holy Spirit and my wife, <laughs> of which I'm very grateful. You know, we fail to see it in ourselves. We always see the, the speck in somebody else's eye, and we never see the log in our own eye. And we always can point out what's wrong with them, but we never realize what's wrong with us. Don't we do that? Isn't that easy to do? Number three is we refuse to confess it even when God judges and exposes it. 
We refuse to confess it. We try to defend ourselves. Well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what's going on in my life. You can't imagine what somebody said or did. or, or, or you, you just don't understand. Rather than just saying, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. I confess it. Forgive me. Now, there's a response of the Lord. When the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. The Lord heard it. Moses didn't. God heard what was coming out of their lips, and here's what the complaint revealed. The complaint revealed a lack of faith. And God judges them for a lack of faith and for questioning His interest and His love for them. Now, just write this verse down, Psalm 142 and verse 2. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare my trouble before Him. God will let you voice your problems to Him, but He will judge it when you complain about him. And any time we're complaining, actually what we're doing is we're saying, God, you have mismanaged my life. You've not done what I wanted the way I wanted it done, and I'm upset with you. Ultimately, our complaining is always against the Lord. That's what these people were doing. They were complaining about their circumstances, but in fact they were complaining about the Lord. You can complain to God. That's what you got prayer for, to tell God what's on your heart. But you cannot complain about God because you're questioning Him. Now, I don't think it's in the notes, but negative attitudes reflect in three ways. Negative attitudes reflect in three ways. Number one, no faith in God's sovereignty. No faith in God's sovereignty. When I am negative and when I am complaining and when I'm angry at God or bitter at God or feel like I've been shortchanged, what I'm saying is God's not really in control. God's not really in control. So I need to be. God really can't take care of this, so I need to take care of it of myself. And I complain and I murmur and I gripe and I whine and I bellyache. Why? Because I don't believe in the sovereignty of God. It's a sign I don't believe that God's big enough to take care of my situation. Secondly, no surrender to God's will. I'm not willing to go through God's will for my life. I want to go through God's will my way, not God's will God's way. I don't want to go through His will for me. I don't want to surrender my life to walk in obedience to Him because it's costing me too much. I'm not very excited about it. I want everything to be a smooth ride and easy sailing. Number three, no hope in God's plan. No hope in God's plan. You see, when we complain... What we're actually doing is we're crossing out Romans 8.28 in our lives and in our own Bibles because Romans 8.28 says all things work together for good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And when we say God's not fair, this is not right, I don't believe I'm getting a fair shake here, what we're saying is, God, I don't see how you're going to work good out of that. Lord, this doesn't seem right to me. There's no way you can work good out of it. If you love Him, He can. Now, why is complaining judged so severely? Number one, because it gives lost people the wrong impression about our God. You see, we invite people to come to church and we invite people to come to Christ and we say, come, Jesus Christ will forgive your sins. He'll meet all your needs his, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And when we complain, what they say back to us is, your God doesn't do what you say. Your God's not as good as you told me he was. If he was as good, you wouldn't be complaining. And since you're complaining, you must not be telling me the whole truth about your God. He gives lost people a reason to reject Christ. Secondly, complaining is contagious. Complaining is contagious. 
Now, every now and then, when we were children, we would complain, and that's normal. Kids don't know any better, but adults should. But you know, complaining is contagious. You put a kid in an environment where there's nothing but negative attitudes and negative thoughts and complaining, and they'll become negative. And when you see them becoming negative, just go look in the mirror and realize you helped make them that way. They became that way because they heard you being that way, and they thought that was acceptable behavior. And you see, the second generation will always take it further than the first. The first generation will complain and think nothing of it. The second generation will complain and begin to act on it. The third generation will complain and they'll totally rebel because they think it's a right. Complaining is contagious. I mean, you can get in a group of people and you're just fine and everything's going well and all of a sudden somebody brings up something and they start complaining about something you just kind of sit there for a while and then they just gripe a little bit more and you kind of say, well, you know, I can, I can kind of see you know, how you feel that way and then they complain a little bit more and say, well, you know, I kind of agree with you myself and by the time you're at the end of that conversation, you're complaining too. Why? Because you just rub shoulders with complaining people. Complaining people are like rats. They multiply and they spread plague and diseases. Complaining is deadly because it destroys fellowship with God and it destroys fellowship with other people. And complaining is contagious and then thirdly, it is the fruit of the flesh. When a person is complaining, they are not walking in the fruit of the Spirit. They're not living in the power of the fruit of the Spirit. Now look at the complaint about the cafeteria. Verse 4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? Now, if you'll notice something, God has been angry, and he has set down fire on the outskirts of the camp, and they didn't learn one thing from that. Not one thing. They never learned the lesson. They just continued to complain. I guess they thought since it didn't judge them and scorch them that they were okay to continue with their complaining. I remember in 1977, I was in First Baptist Church, Yukon, Oklahoma. Joe and I were there together. And a gentleman in our church was the self-proclaimed doctor of complaining. He griped and he complained about everything. He resisted everything. Uh, Chairman of Deacons called me one night and said, uh, said, Mike, I just want to tell you, so-and-so's on his way over to your house and he plans to pick a fight with you in the front yard. I mean, this man was a deacon, full of faith, spirit, and wisdom. So we got in a deacons meeting one night and he put his hand on a Bible and he said, with God as my witness, and he called God to witness to his life. Six weeks later, they rolled him into an operating room with a brain tumor the size of an English pea so far in his head they could not take it out. The last thing he said going under anesthesia was he cursed our pastor and said, I don't want him anywhere close to me. And he never spoke another word. Six weeks after calling God to witness to a lie, this man was dead. You know what happened in the next meeting? His business meeting, his friends stood up and took up his cause. They didn't learn a cotton-picking thing. They didn't learn that you can't complain about God and get away with it. They didn't learn the lesson that they had seen so dreadfully in their friend. They just picked up the banner and the mantle and they just carried on with it. 
You see, you and I need to understand that when the Lord hears it, he is understanding of it to a point, but then he just goes and says, that's it, I'm not going to go any further. Verse 5, we remember the fish which we used to eat in Egypt and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. By the way, you know what manna was, don't you? Manna was God's provision. They didn't have to plant any gardens. They didn't have to grow any food. Manna was provided for them every day. And what they're saying is all we've got is God's provision, and we're not happy with it. Have you ever complained like that? All I've got is God's provision, and I'm not happy. The rabble. Notice he uses the word rabble in verse 4. This was a mixed group. These were foreigners who happened to also be slaves in Egypt. And when the, the Jewish people were delivered from Egypt, they kind of joined along with them and they got to be delivered too. They just kind of got to walk along with the crowd and go with the flow. And they found deliverance and they began to complain. Now watch. Sin builds on sin. Complaining is contagious. When the people of God began to complain, they influenced and impacted the rabble, and then the rabble began to complain and led the people of God to complain some more. They all began to build together, and the complaining became contagious, and the rabble began to complain about things and make demands that they were in no position to make. They were just lucky to be on the trip. The deliverance was for the Jews, not for the rabble. God just allowed them to come along. They should have still been in Egypt, working, taking over the work that the Jews weren't doing anymore. But they got to come, and they griped about it. In Deuteronomy 9.22, it names three places where they provoked the Lord to wrath, and in all three locations, the sin was the same, murmuring, complaining. In the first one, they didn't like what God was doing. They complained about the way God was delivering them. So the first one, they complained about deliverance. The second one, they expected water on demand. And the third one, they didn't like the menu. Now notice a phrase in verse 4. They had greedy desires. That phrase literally means they lusted a lust. They lusted a lust. They just wanted what they wanted and they didn't care what happened. The psalmist says they tempted God in their heart by asking for meat for their lust. The psalmist also says they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, these things happened as examples for us. Two things. First of all, complaining leads to lustful desires. And dissatisfaction with God leads to taking matters in your own hand. I can't trust God to take care of me. And so I'm going to not pray, I'm going to murmur. Rather than being grateful, I'm going to lust. Now, verse 5, I want you to notice something. We remember. Oh, but they also forgot. They forgot deliverance. They forgot when Pharaoh had made it harder on them by making them make bricks without straw. They forgot how God provided for them when they were backed up to the Red Sea, sure to be destroyed. They forgot about the pillar of cloud and fire. They forgot about how God had provided the manna. They forgot also about the judgment of God when they built the golden calf. Oh, we remember Egypt. Isn't that just like human nature? Boy, I remember how good it used to be, and we forget how good God is right now. I remember back there when I had my way, 
and we forget how bad it was when we had our way. And we fail to remember the things that we should remember. Now notice the complaint of Moses, verses 10 through 15. Let me just pick up in verse 13. Where am I going to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am unable to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. For I have found, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Now, the people complained, and God sent fire. Moses complained, and God sent help. Oh, I see. Moses must have been God's favorite. No. It's because Moses didn't murmur among his people. He prayed to his God. You see, this prayer, if you read this prayer of Moses and this interaction between Moses and the Lord, it'll take about 45 seconds to read it. 45 seconds of praying will get you a lot more than minutes and hours of murmuring. We need to learn to pray, and we need to learn to not murmur. I want you to notice what Moses said. If you're going to deal with this, thus with me, please kill me at once. <laughs> Moses must have been a pastor. Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, I'd just soon die. I've had those days. I've had those days. I've had those days when I've left this church and wept all the way home. I've had those days when I realized Jesus Christ couldn't please people, and I certainly can't. I've had those days when I've tried as hard as I could, prayed as much as I could, studied to be as true to the Word as I could be, and somebody still griped about it. I got an interesting letter this week. This one was signed, so I'll talk about this one. I got an interesting letter this week from a former member who's now a member of the other church writing me and complaining about my column. I was thinking about sending him a card back. You know, when you're getting something for nothing, you don't have much room to gripe. I tell you, Moses just said, Lord, you know, I spent 40 years in a desert to prepare to lead these people out. I've spent 40 years getting them ready. Now, is this all I'm ever going to get, is complaining? Some of you have employees. They've never come in and said thank you to you. They've never come in and said they appreciate the fact that even though business is tight sometimes, you try to give them a raise or you make sure they have time off. They, they've never said things. They're always wanting something else, always wanting something more. And I've got pastor friends who, quite honestly, they've never heard an encouraging word because somebody's always griping and complaining. I've got one friend. I, th I think he's figured out how to handle it. Uh, he just calls people when he finds out they're complaining about him, asking if he can be in their office in 15 minutes. It's amazing how quickly things quiet down in that church. I heard about another pastor. He's got a little journal that he keeps on the edge of his desk, and people come in and they want to start complaining about a church member, say, you know, I just want to tell you about one of your church members. He says, okay, good, let me just get my little notebook out of here, and let me just write down this, because I want to get verbatim what you're saying so that I can go talk. Oh, no, no, I don't want you to write it down. No, 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 I just want to talk to you about it. Well, you know, but if we're going to get this straightened out, let me just get down all the facts so maybe we can sit down together. Oh, no, no, no. He said, I have never written the first word in my notebook. You know, nobody wants to be quoted when they're complaining, do they? Let me ask you something. 
You ever reach one of those days where you say, Lord, if this is it, just kill me? You have the right to say that to God. You just don't have the right to complain to God about what's going on in your life to everybody else. You see, God doesn't mind the complaint. He just wants it directed in the right area. God can handle the complaint. I've learned something about the Lord. I can groan before the Lord, but I'm not to grumble before Him. In fact, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit issues groanings that we don't even understand. Now, God did two things. He sent Moses' help in Numbers 11, 16, and 17, 70 men to help him. And I've got to tell you, pastoring a church is a whole lot different than being a student minister. It was a lot easier when I could say, go talk to him. He sits behind the big desk. He's got the big chair. You know, go talk to him. But it's a whole lot different when you sit in the big chair and the buck has to stop there. I want you to understand something. I would not have survived nearly nine years pastoring this church if I had not found myself surrounded by some very godly men who gather together and pray for me on Sunday morning, who pray for me during the week, some men that I can call in and I can unload on and I can just vent on, and I mean, they have seen me. There are a few men in this church that have seen me at my absolute worst. They've seen me when I was mad about everything. And they've just listened and they've just prayed. I want to tell you something. God has used them to help me understand I don't carry this burden alone. And Moses was understanding, you don't carry the burden alone, Moses. Let people help you with the burden. Let people walk beside you and stand with you. And I want you to know something, folks. One of the reasons why I enjoy pastoring this church is because we've got a deacon body that is helpful and not hurtful. We've got a group of men that desire God's best for this church. They're not tr- trying to figure out how to run it. They're not trying to play power politics. They're not being what typical Baptist deacons are. They're just trying to figure out how am I supposed to love God, hate sin, and serve people. And that's one of the reasons why God chooses to bless this church like he does. He sent Moses people to help. But I want you to notice what else he did. He responded directly to the people. Pick up with me in verse 18. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you're going to eat T-bone. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, oh, that he would give us a big T-bone steak to eat. For we got T-bones in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you T-bone, and you shall eat. And you shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? Psalms 106 and verse 13 says that the Lord gave them their request but he sent a wasting disease among them. Oh, you want meat? I'll give you meat until you're sick of it, until you can't stand the smell of it, until you can't stand the sight of it, until you never want to see it again. I remember one time I was riding with Roger, and we were going somewhere, 
and he had, this was when Truth had been out on the road, I guess, for about eight years or so, and he said, you know, he said, I could live for the rest of my life and never see another McDonald's hamburger. He said, in fact, my hands, no matter what I do, they smell like a McDonald's hamburger. And I say, I've eaten so many McDonald's hamburgers, I just can't tell you. I can't get the smell off of me. And God says, I tell you, 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 you want me? You're not happy with my provisions. You're not happy with my protection. You're not happy with the way life's going. I'll give it to you. See, sometimes the worst thing you get is the thing you want. Oh, I've got to have this. I need this. I want this. If God were fair to me, he'd give it to me. And since he won't, I'm going to complain about it until he does. And God says, okay, that's what you want. I'll give it to you. He sent the quail, but he also sent a plague. Now, folks, listen. God hates complaining. Period. God hates it. And God made them despise the meat because they really despised him. They said, God, you're not fair. Life's not turned out the way I wanted it to. You've not done for me what I wanted you to do. And so they began to complain. Now listen, listen to me. A bunch of us will say amen on this, but I'm not sure we all mean it because it's a lot easier for us to talk theology than to live theology. But if God never did another thing for you and you lived another 50 years, you have no right to complain because when you die, you're going to go to heaven. If God never answered another prayer, if he never met another need, if he took your health away, if he took your money away, you still don't have a right to complain. You see, we need to learn the lesson that Job learned. I'm not going to curse God and die. I'm not going to complain about God. Shall we complain about the God who gives good things when adversity comes our way? Let me ask you a question. How much complaining have you done lately? About your life, about your family, about your kids, about your husband, about your wife, about your parents, about your job, about your boss, about your employees, about the weather. Ultimately, what you're doing is saying, Lord, I don't trust you to be in control of my life. And so I just want to gripe for a while. God takes complaining very, very seriously. And I've got to tell you, God's had to deal with me on this. Because it is in my nature, in my flesh, when I let myself run my life to complain. And God's having to work with me to say, Michael, if I'm really in charge, let me be in charge. And don't worry about everything else. If I'm really in control, and you really believe I'm sovereign, then let me prove it. And don't complain about how I do it. Ron Dunn says, God does his business, and he does it quite well. And he really does. God's very good at handling his business. It only gets messed up when I try to tell him how to handle it. How about you?
Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a moment, Joe and the choir are going to sing our hymn of invitation. And as they begin to sing, I'm going to ask you whatever the Spirit has said to you this morning that you need to do, if it's to go to somebody in this room and ask for forgiveness, if it's to turn to your spouse or to your kids and ask them to forgive you, if it's to come to the altar and kneel and pray, if it's to come for profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if it's to come to be a part of this church family, whatever God's spoken to you about specifically, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you during this hour. And it may not be anything I've even talked about or anything we've sung about today, but God said something to you that you need to do. Then when we begin to sing, I'm going to ask you to step out and to come immediately. We're not going to sing but one or two verses, and then we're going to be through. So if you're going to come and respond, you need to do so now. Would you come as we sing? We're glad that you have joined us for the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. If you would like a copy of today's service, please send us your name and address to the Sherwood Hour, 2201 Whispering Pines Road, Albany, Georgia, 31707. That's the Sherwood Hour, 2201 Whispering Pines Road in Albany, Georgia, zip code 31707. If you would like a videotape of our worship celebration, kindly enclose $10 with your order. Or if you would like an audio cassette of our pastor's message, enclose $3 with your order. Remember to include your complete name, address, and telephone number, and ask for the tape number that you see on the screen. We would enjoy hearing from you by mail or by phone. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to visit with us here at Sherwood. And we hope that you'll join us again next week at this time for the Sherwood Hour from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. Dad, how much money do you make in a week? Dad, what day? How much do you